to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Awesome. So thank you for joining me on Instagram Live, people. Thank you guys for tuning in. This is the Waking Up From Work podcast. Today, you're tuning in to episode 48 of the podcast. Uh, For those of you who are just tuning in, we are all about living your creative life. So whether that's talking to musicians, talking to audio engineers, talking to artists and creatives and entrepreneurs, we kind of blend everything in to what we think might be helpful to help you live the life that you want to live and not a life that you think that you have to live. So the Waking Up From Work podcast, uh, if you have been listening, first of all, thank you. And you're probably going to notice that my voice is a little bit different tonight and that Ryan isn't here again. That is because whereas last week Ryan was deathly sick, this week I am deathly sick and had to take like a three-hour power nap so that I could do this podcast. But the show must go on. I'm here. If I have a a little bit less energy, it's not because I don't love you guys. It's because I'm dying a little bit on the inside. So, uh, but it should be a good time today. So, this is going to be a great episode for definitely everyone who's been enjoying the show so far. Uh, it's definitely a little targeted for musicians specifically. And today, I wanted to bring on James Cross from the Better Band. Bureau podcast. Their early podcast about what, 12, 14 episodes in? Yeah, I think so. It's tough to keep track because we're like a month ahead on recordings. So it's something like that. God bless you, man. I wish I was. Yeah, but so they're early in, but the podcast is phenomenal and the content is great. And it's it's filling a, a hole in the market, in my opinion, that hasn't had a lot of good content. So if you are a musician, I first of all just want to take a second to go and tell you to go check out his podcast because I've been listening to it and I've been digging it and kind of feeling some nostalgia from uh, some old touring days and things like that in there. So uh, James right now uh, is up in Vermont. Are you outside of Burlington? Uh, yeah, about an hour outside. I'm in Barrie, so closer to Montpelier. All right, south. Oh, yeah, yeah, south on there. Yeah, yep. okay. I pass Montpelier sometimes, so I know where you're, I know where you're basically at. Uh, so... James obviously running the podcast right now. He kind of got his foot in the door in the audio industry by working in local radio. And then he went on to become a three-time Vans Warp Tour vet, working in merchandising and sponsorship and various different roles. And now he is hosting this podcast and running a recording studio up in Vermont. Welcome, James. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. It's great to be here. Um, I'm sorry you're sick, but dude, thank you so much for the kind words. And I hope that even though this might not be for all your listeners, that they still tune in because there might still be, I hope, knowledge that applies to everyone, even if they aren't a musician. Def- dude, definitely. I mean, we record, we've, we have interviewed everything from a brewery up to Scott Page from Pink Floyd. So it's just like, I, I really believe that there is something of value from every single person that you can bring. And I do my best to scratch my own itch and whatever is on my mind, puzzling me at the moment, or seeing an opportunity to bring value to the audience. 
I kind of try to snipe out guests that I think can bring a piece to everyone. So I'm sure that this will benefit uh, musicians more than anything, but definitely there's something in this episode for everyone. So for those of you that don't know you, I know I kind of just gave you a, a, a quick shot, James. Do you want to run people through any other things, you know, about you, the podcast, you know, your history, anything you want to run through? I mean, main thing is, and we were talking about this a few minutes before we started recording, but I said to Dave, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And that's really what I've been doing in the music industry is that I've done a little of everything, but I'm not an absolute expert or authority in any one single field. So with the Better Band Bureau podcast, what I love to do is share my knowledge. And then when people have deeper questions, pull somebody in who's an expert in that field. Love so, it. And I think that applies for anything. If, if you don't know what you're doing, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to admit that you don't know something. Because that's one of the things I've gotten where I am now by asking questions and saying, hey, I don't know this. So right. I can't overstress the value of admitting when you don't know something. And I know this is probably a weird way to start, a, start an interview, but I just want to stress how important it is. No, I think that that is, that's showing a stronger characteristic of you. Like I know when, and you know what, honestly, it, it also, people feel that too. And they tend to engage more with giving you help in it, I feel like, because you're not going to them being like, hey, I know everything, but like, can you help me with this thing? It's like, people are like, you know everything, get out of here. But I remember like I had a, my first internship at a studio in, in my undergrad. Um, I, I used to ask questions non-stop like just absolutely relentless and sometimes they got annoyed with it because it would just be like dude i'm working too but it made me learn so much quicker than i would have if i just tried to you know not ask those questions because i was afraid so i i think that that's awesome dude well thank you man yeah it's uh asking questions almost never hurts i think in a studio it's always tough because there's an appropriate time and a place and then there isn't but right it's still better to ask than to mess something up. Like by all means, dude, like that's having interned in studios. I totally feel your pain. Right. You do not want to be the person that, uh, didn't know how to, uh, wrap the cable. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever <laughs> been that guy? That was me. Like my first live sound career. I didn't know how to wrap a cable yet. And I got sworn off stage and told to leave that night early. So that, I, I, I've learned, I learned very well after that, and I, I can wrap a cable now. <laughs> this is actually, I, I learned how to wrap cables because I went to school for audio and entertainment management at Bay State College in Boston, awesome. which it was a blast, and I learned how to wrap cables, and then I was in an, a production management class, and I was the only audio student in that class, and the professor asked me to teach the class how to wrap cables. So I showed everyone. Yeah. And then she said, okay, everyone, you wrap a cable, and as soon as it's done uh, and you can uncoil it without it tangling, you can go home or you can, you know, chill before your next class. Hey, Harold. Oh, yeah. He's in the game now. Yeah. But so uh, I got cocky after having just shown everyone how to do it and doing it a bunch of times. I was like, okay, like, I can do this. I'm out of here. And I wrapped it. And then I took the Velcro off and threw it. And it got so tangled. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh no. Actually, no. You know what? Actually, I didn't even throw it at first. I just put it down. And the professor's like, no, you got to unwrap it. 
Like you got to prove it. Uh-oh. And then I was like, oh man, it's like, I've done this like five times, 10 times already showing everyone else. But the one time I mess it up is when it counts. For me. Yeah. So oh my God, that kind of plays back into, you know, if you don't know how to do something, don't get cocky. Right on, man. So today I really wanted to get James in here. Uh, Cause we've touched on it a couple times where I'll kind of interlace some experiences I've had in being in a band doing small tours, like nothing more than a week, or I think I did a two week one once, but um, I really wanted to get James in here to help out with bands and look at, you know, when we were talking beforehand, we wanted to look at why should a band consider bringing business characteristics in it? you want to talk on that a little bit like what's your what's your thoughts on that because you obviously feel passionate enough to start a podcast on that premise yeah i think there are a few reasons but the main one really is that bands who take the business side of things seriously are much more likely to succeed even if they are inferior musically to other bands because i see all the time people are saying oh you know XYZ band is awful. Like all they play is this and that. And, you know, I can play better than they can. It's like, sure, you can play better than they can, but what do you do to promote yourself for your business? Like you spend your time whining on Facebook. Why can't you put together a marketing plan, put together a solid release, spend some money on getting an album that sounds better than something recorded in Audacity with two tracks? And like, right, you can use Audacity and make it sound great, but it's not going to have the same result as going to someone who knows what they're doing. And these days you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on a recording. I mean, it helps, but you can record at home and get a decent result. The issue is a lot of bands then say, Oh, we spent all this money on the recording and mixing. Now people are going to have to listen. It's like, no, now you spent all that money. What are you going to spend on marketing? Right. And even if you don't spend thousands of dollars on marketing, you can still have a plan in place to execute that and get interaction. We just interviewed a band called Infinite Signal on the Better Band Gear podcast, which will come out, I think it's April 7th on our show. So it's like a month away still. But they did a release uh, for an EP that came out at the end of January. And they're a relatively regional band to san diego and they had almost 100 people at their release show who were there for them right and they pre-sold i think 40 bundles i'm actually wearing their hoodie so anybody you can't see it on instagram represent (laughs) but yeah they they sold almost 40 bundles or maybe even more than 40 before the album came out with an average uh 40 dollar cart so they made quite a lot on pre-sales, which covered the merch that they bought. And then they sold, I think it was $295 more at their release show. So basically their pre-sales covered their costs of the merchandise and covered a fair deal of their marketing budget, which was a couple music videos and uh, then like another 500 and things here and there, you know, a little bit of Facebook promotion, a little bit of submit hub. They did really well, and they gained, uh, I think, 350 Instagram fans since October. Wow, which, that's a good bump. Yeah, considering they were at 700. 
So yeah. that's a 50% increase in four months. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. And, and, and definitely like, like you were saying for a band like that, where they might not have the biggest draw yet to be able to sell 40 bundles before your show, that's not a small deal. Like that's big news. Yeah. That's like, that's really being effective and tactile in what you're putting out. Yeah. They really had a great plan in place for this album. And actually the key thing that they did, they said the number one thing they would recommend is when you go into the studio, don't post anything till later. They went into the studio last March in 2019 and they didn't right. post any pictures or videos from the studio until everything was done in October right. of 2019. I and learned every that specifically week. between two albums for myself. Like the first one, I did do that. Shit went down and we ended up not releasing it for literally three years. It was a nightmare. And so people are like hyped up and they're like, okay, sick. All right, cool. Awesome. Kill it. You kill your audience. You kill momentum. It's, it's, and it's, it's brutal. People, people really like, just like, you know, with the, the podcast and that why I'm, I'm sitting here tracking the sick, people have an expectation that they build up and people are understanding, you know, people definitely understand what happens, but there's just a, a, a bit of a letdown that you feel. You can't help it. There's just a feeling that when you expect something to happen, then it doesn't happen. You just get a dissonance about it. There's a normal thing for consumer dissonance that we get about products. You get a dissonance, a letdown if it's over-marketed, and then you buy it, and you're like, man, it's going to be the, the best-tasting smoothie in the world, and then you try it, and you're like, this is terrible, but the marketing was amazing. There's consumer dissonance that builds up. I think it's the same way with that. Absolutely, dude. Quick story. When I was a kid, there was this thing that was advertised on TV. I think it was called the Party Penguin, and it was like a snow, a snow cone machine. Okay. Looked and dope. Yeah, it looked awesome. and Awesome. It was great, and... <laughs> My parents got it for me from, well, it wasn't KB Toys. It was another smaller chain that wasn't Toys R Us. Got it home, and it tasted awful. Like, it just used ice cubes from your freezer, but somehow, like, the parts in the machine, even though we'd washed out and all that stuff, it tasted gross. Oh. And like, so we went to take it back, and the dude at the store literally said, oh, no, is that another party penguin? Oh my god! So it was so overhyped that they were just getting tons of them brought back. That as soon as he saw someone come in with a return, before he even saw the box, he knew what it was. Not another party penguin. Yeah, that's how bad it was because it was overhyped, and all the kids wanted it, and then they got it, and it was like, dude, this tastes awful. Like this is not an actual snow cone. Why should we pay twenty dollars from this for this when we can get it for a dollar from the ice cream truck? <laughs> right. Exactly. So yeah, overhype is a real thing, and. You know, to to go back to your earlier question about why it's important, people notice which bands are putting in the effort. And I don't just mean people in the industry like labels or managers or anyone else. I mean fans too. Because if a fan goes to a show and they can tell that somebody is well rehearsed and they have a put together show, they have great stage presence and maybe they have lighting and a solid set list, and their stage banter isn't awful, people will notice that. Or then the band goes up who's tuning their guitars on stage and has awful tone and is awkward and just doesn't play a good set. That's like night and day. And I've gone to local shows where I can tell, like, hey, this band's actually trying to do something, and this other band just wants to get up and play bars. and the bands who play bars might still have the same aspirations of 
making it, which, I mean, that's kind of a loaded term anyway because there are so many different ways to make it these days. What making it is? Yeah. That's like its own episode itself. (laughs) That's like five episodes, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, that's serious, serious stuff. Yeah, And, and so some bands put in the effort and others don't. And I think what it comes down to is aside from having people notice and making it in the industry, even if there are other people who are more talented, when you understand business, it's just easier to make the right decisions because that's when you're running a business as an entrepreneur, it's all about making the right decisions. So if you're in a band and for example, a venue says, Hey, we can give you 50 bucks to play the show. A band who doesn't care about business might say, yeah, sure, we'll do it. Even though they're going to drive four hours to get there and there's four people in the band. So before expenses, that's twelve fifty each for a four-hour drive and playing yep. the show and all, you know, they'll need strings, probably need to be replaced at least for the guitar, maybe even the bass. Maybe they need drum heads, the gas for the van. Plus they're going to spend hours practicing and writing songs for twelve fifty. Dude, I don't know what minimum wage is in New Hampshire, but here it's I think ten seventy nine. Yeah. So if you play a half hour set, but you've done like ten hours of prep, you're making a tenth of minimum wage, basically. Something that I've heard, I think, on your podcast, and I've said it, is you know you start talking about this route of you know hey let's let's do more business principles in music, and maybe it is a bar band. And, you know, and obviously, like, I don't want to step on anyone's priorities. Sometimes people legit just only don't like they legitimately don't want it to be any more thing more. That's fine. Like, no, no, no slight, you know, shade on those people. But like what I would say is like people will say, you know, I'm not in, you know, music for the money. I don't want to be a sellout. But then that same person I hear, I want to make my living doing music. And you're like, you're like, listen, man, you don't have to go sell music that you hate. You don't have to go make a shirt design that you don't care about. You don't have to go play shows that you don't give a shit about. That's not the method on it. It's how do we put things in place to make it what you're doing is sustainable and grows and does that. And so my argument back at some of those bar bands who are like, I legit just come here every Thursday night to play music and have fun. Great. Have fun. If you don't absolutely despise the, the the business aspect of it, or you can find people to work with to get into that business aspect, then even those people are going to benefit from playing better shows, playing with better bands, getting better spots. Like there is no loss for having those things incorporated into what you do, despite what your outcome is. You can definitely tailor it to what your outcome is that you want to get and really work it. Uh, but there's no loss for having those things intertwined in there because you're only going to benefit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, so many people see music as a hobby that just relaxes them, and that's great. I love that. Awesome. Do it all day. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's like my dad. He just plays music. He's retired, and he plays music for two or three hours a day, and that's awesome. And he just plays for himself. Sometimes he plays with friends. He's not looking to make a career out of it. And I can totally respect and appreciate that. But then there are people who play shows and they aspire to do more with their career, but they don't take action on it. And 
that's essentially who we're targeting with the Better Band Bureau. We're also targeting people who are taking action but just want to learn more. But the main thing is I've seen so many amazing artists who aren't really kicking it up into notch. And uh, I just think they could do a better job. And I want to support that and see more people make awesome music. And business is a part of that, as unfortunate as it is. Because, I mean, a lot of people who are into music aren't into math or business or things like that. Yep. And I've been lucky that I've always been really good at understanding math and like nerding out about spreadsheets and things like that. Aaron, my co-host, he's a spreadsheet genius. And I said this on a recent episode. If he has, uh, or if I have a question about a spreadsheet thing, I ask him because he spent, I think six years as a production coordinator for a major artist who does like arenas and amphitheaters. And that was his life was doing production work for that artist. And now he said, you know what? I love this gig, but it's so difficult to be on the road around all this music and not be playing my own music. I'm just going to take a step back and focus on my own band. Even if that means I have to get a day job that isn't in music, I'm going to do it just so I can focus on my own music. And that's what he's doing now. And now he's part of the podcast. And then, you know, Matt, the other co-host, he's like a people person and branding and marketing and sales is his thing. And he just has this drive just like Aaron does, but with an entirely different skill set. And I think that's one of the unique things about a band is that even if people don't love business, there's going to be some part of business that they enjoy. So like Matt loves talking to people. Great. You know what? He can sell a ton of merch. He sold more than $2,000 in a day of merch at Warp Tour while not even being officially on the tour. He was just in lines in the morning. I heard that episode. That's nuts. Yeah. That's, I mean, dude, if he like did any sales job in the planet, he would just be making stupid money because anyone that can sell like that, like off the cuff, beating off people's emotions to understand them that quickly. Yep. I mean, he, he's probably one hell of a salesman. So yeah, he is. And it's, you know, it's a pleasure to have him on the podcast just cause he is such a people person and you know, like I'll, we have a Facebook group and if anyone's interested in joining that, it's free. Just go to the better slash group and you can learn about the music industry. I'm in there. Yeah. Do it up. Matt, I'm sure you've seen him. He just, goes crazy talking to people and like is just such a giving person that's awesome Aaron and I are both kind of like spreadsheet introvert people so we're there we hang out and I make a lot of like the welcome posts and stuff but different personalities kind of attract each other especially in bands like you're probably not going to have two people who are you know loud and not obnoxious but up front you know right right you probably have a singer who is either really introverted or really loud and friendly. And Matt is the singer of his band and he's really loud and friendly. And that's awesome. And then he has his guitarist, Jesse, who's like the numbers guy. And Jesse's not afraid to get tough, which I'm sure you heard him talk about in that. I think it was that same episode where if there is a dispute or something with a promoter or some kind of contract issue, Jesse goes to town on him. He'll say, yep. no, this is our contract. This is the deal. And, they complement each other because Matt's the nice people guy who can build relationships and Jesse's the guy who can lay down the law. 
Right. And if you look at that, like, like, uh, you know, I've changed J jobs quite a bit, but I was, uh, like a sales manager where I had a team of like 20, 30 people under me. And when you have something, when you're a manager of something in business, that's what you need to do is play to your people's strengths. You don't, you don't take the person that is a super introvert and then, you know, and, and isn't great at talking with people right off the cuff and say, go sell this merch in the line, just figure it out because you're going to make them uncomfortable and it's not their best, most efficient thing that they can spend in time, you know? So like in a business, you would do that. It makes only sense that you would do it inside a band as well. And I think it naturally happens and we just don't look at it that way sometimes where, you know, the same thing happens in, um, you know, in my band and then in any band that has ever failed for me, it's always because there have been, just like you were saying, multiple of the wrong personality. So I'm the loud one. I'm the loud one. And I want to talk to everyone in the room. You know, I want to, I want to hang out, um, and, and get things done. I'm also, what's weird is I also am the band dad. Like you were saying the other day, like I'm definitely the one too, where I'm like, all right, like we need to get shit done right now. Like what's going on, you know? But when I've been in bands where there's another one of those people, it just, I, you know, like I, I could get it to last sometime, but like at some point, even if you try to respect different boundaries, like of whoever, you know, was a first initiator of the band and try to, you know, give more status to that or however you try to play it out. I, I, I personally haven't been successful when the wrong roles have come together as a band and the longest band that I've been a part of is when those roles are perfect. Like, yeah. Well, and you have to think of it this way, like obviously a band is a business and that's what the better band bureau is about. But a band is also kind of like being married. Like super. Oh my God. All the members have to be compatible. And if they aren't, that's going to cause issues. And either the band is going to break up or one of the members is going to leave or, you know, all the members are going to leave and you only have one person left and he's running the band and it's tough, you know, like some bands are established enough that the entire band, except for one person can leave and they survive and other bands that happens and it kills the band. Other bands one person leaves and that kills the band. Like one of my favorite bands is Gallows. I think on Instagram you can see I have a Gallows flag right there. Hell yeah. And Good band. um their original singer, well, second singer actually, but the the their the singer who was on their first two albums, because the original singer like wrote one song and then quit. Okay. But the the guy who everyone thinks is the original singer left the band after five or six years. And they replaced him with Wade from Alexis on Fire, and they put out a couple of good records. They've played three shows in the last two years, uh, in the last four years. Wow. They just haven't stuck with it because Wade is now back with Alexis on Fire. The other guys are doing different things. You know, um, one guitarist is in the supergroup uh, Cocodile, which is uh, uh, the dude who's the new bass player in Slipknot, is also the bass player for Cocodile and Whoa. some other band i can't remember what it is now cool. and um i'll have to check them out i'm a huge slipknot fan i didn't know yeah that. it's uh and i think one of the dudes from sixth is in there it's it's a metal super group which is awesome and it's really cool but guess what the original singer from gallows went on to form another band called pure love and they got big they got signed to a label almost instantly and then when the label dropped them they broke up and now he started his own band called Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, and it's bigger than he ever was. Wow. And that's because he was the person who was driving things forward. He was 
the business guy, the personality. And, you know, Matt's probably going to hate me for this, although he's going to love me for it, too, because he makes fun of himself all the time. They're both yeah. gingers, Matt and Frank. <laughs> so <laughs> I see some similarities there. And I know that give it five to 10 years, I would not be surprised if Matt is where Frank is now. I don't think Matt's going to end up, you know, disbanding two different bands <laughs> but i i would not be surprised if he just finds that level of success because he has the same kind of drive i see in both of them right and you know i can't say i know frank carter personally but i've done an interview with him and it's just it's all about the music until it's about the fans and the marketing and he's just the kind of guy who everything he touches turns to gold and you need somebody like that in your band like he's a Tattoo artist, super popular. He's a musician, super popular. He's a painter, super popular. Like he does everything and he does it well, but he doesn't do them at the same time. Right. Like he'll say, okay, for the next month I'm doing tattoos, that's it. And then he'll go on tour for like three months, four months, half a year. Then he'll write awesome. an album. And then he'll be like, cool. okay, I'm doing tattoos for another month or two weeks. Like this is when you can get at me. So I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but come. Uh, compartmentalizing yourself can be really useful too because if you try to do lots of things at once you're going to fail they say that you can have up to three businesses and you can build one you can maintain another and then the third one will kind of fade away into obscurity interesting so so if you're trying to do too many things that's not going to work but if you're in a project like if you're in a band and you can compartmentalize it then maybe you won't because if the other, if the rest of the band can keep things going for you, you know, you have a team that does your social media and stuff. So you take a month or two off while you focus on your other projects. And then you come back and hit people with a new record a few months later. Cause after you took your break, you started writing and came up with 50 awesome songs and cut that down to the best 10 and then drop a record. That's awesome. Right. So you got to focus on, what you want to do and if you need a break that's fine but don't try to do too many things at once because you'll get burned out and you won't do any of them well yeah and i think like for i mean i would say that probably a large amount of your audience probably a large amount of of my audience are people that are side hustling on it like they're working something and then they're doing that and i think that you know there's certain things like i will you know respond to an email for a booker or uh you know book uh you know, a photo shoot or like there are certain things that I can do really quick on like a lunch break or like throughout my day that don't disrupt what I'm doing at that other piece of it. But at the same time, I also need to set like days of the week or 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 break down and, and make it so that there are certain times when I'm all in on it where that's the only thing that I do uh, because of exactly what you're saying. If there's no like organization to it, it's really hard to stick to anything. Yeah. And, and to kind of go deeper into that multitasking is a lie <laughs> like it's not really a practice that is recommended by anyone who understands the psychology behind it because it's not possible to focus on different things at once and every job ever will see we need a strong go-getter who's a multitasker that just shows that they don't really understand how a human is most effective and they don't understand proper management. Right. Now, granted, 
I do multitask. Like I'll do different things. Like I'll be editing a podcast and answering live chats for something else. And, you know, then taking a break and coming back and answering emails. And, you know, I'm really lucky that because of my work, I do audio and I do some like side gigs and stuff. I can do all my work from home. So I set my own schedule. Beautiful. And I try to designate days of the week. And I've noticed myself that I can't switch back and forth quickly. Like it's best if I sit down and block out some time to do that. So for example, if you, for example, if you are trying to write songs, don't try to write three different songs at once, write one song and then take a break and come back and do the other one. Cause if you're working on multiple different ideas without giving your brain a chance to reset, it's not going to be as fresh as it would be. Even right. if that just means take, going outside for five minutes to like walk around the block or something. Something to reset your brain. I, I also, need that. Yeah, I need that so for, for me. I also, for example, wouldn't recommend if you're having a band practice, you should either have a writing session practice or a show practice. Don't mess around saying, oh, like we're going to try to write a song and then say, okay, let's rehearse our set for next week. Like, no, either you rehearse the set or you write a song, attempt to write a song. You know, it's tough. Most people can't just knock one out of the park. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I would never expect someone to sit down and write a song in one practice session and have it complete. That's not how it works, unless you're some kind of genius. But, if you want to do both, take a break, you know, all of you, not just one person. Like if you're at practice and you spent an hour writing a song before you jump into playing that set, go outside, chill, just have a chat for a few minutes. And I don't mean about business stuff. I mean, just like have a chat as buds. Cause if you're in a band, hopefully you're friends with each other. If you're not, if you're, if you're not, it is miserable. Yeah, exactly. If you're not, it is terrible. I can't and, even like, I remember, um, I used to work live sound for the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did that for three years throughout college on the summers. And uh, I want to say that it was, don't don't get mad at me if I'm wrong. I want to say that it was Stone Temple Pilots. Are they like a pissed off at each other band? Um, Depends on when this was, because I know it was like 2012. They kicked out their singer, 2013, sometime around then. It might, it, I mean, that was the time. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say finite because I don't remember, but I remember a band showing up and like you have your normal day where like you're loading in the morning and you have like, you know, the truck's going to come in first and then the the bus or whatever order they sometimes they come together. But I remember one band, literally five members, five, co- five different tour buses oh. because they hated each other that much that they weren't afraid to spend the money to have five different tour buses for each one of them to live in on tour because they hated each other that much that they, they legit just lived on that bus. And then when it was time to perform right, like, like they come in sound check back on their things when it's time to perform, come out, play a show, go. And I was like, that's awful, dude. That yeah. is absolutely terrible. That's like a I mean, job where like you hate literally every single one of your coworkers and then you're expected to perform every day. It's like, I don't know. That's pretty yeah. rough. Dude, you know? I can understand that for like, arena level tours where there's 15 20 buses like okay you know what you guys can each have your own bus and you don't hate each other like you have a master bedroom in the back suite you know that's right, awesome. you're doing it because you can but 
if you're doing like the ballroom is a club that holds what <laughs> probably about three thousand, I want to say. Yeah, that sounds right. That's not the kind of venue where you can reasonably expect to spend forty k per month on five buses because a bus is about forty k a month, if I recall correctly, from oh, a couple of years ago. Oh my god! To, yeah, they're to not pay cheap. for the driver and for that bus to rent it. Yep, and the fuel and all that. And just think wow. about the environmental impact too. Like, dude, that's huge. Oh. And I'm sure the crew then had their own separate bus that was probably packed to the brim, right? For for what was it? The oh, crew the, oh, probably yeah. had their own bus oh, yeah. that was packed to the brim. So yeah. the five dudes each had their own bus. Like I said, you know, if you're, uh, I, I know Weezer, at least in the past, has toured with each member having their own bus. But I don't think those guys hate each other. I think that's just because they play massive venues and they can. And and why not like make their life like more sustainable because they they basically are getting less tired out from that to be able to do that. That's a different. Yeah, kind of I a know, different thing. I know this because there's that horrible accident probably over ten years ago where Rivers' bus crashed, and he had his wife and kid on the bus with him. So that right. was like their family unit had their bus. That's understandable. That was their home on the road. Right. So I can understand that. But if you're doing like large clubs and just wasting, you know, what is it, 40, 80, 160, $200,000 a month for five oh buses. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. That's, man, I can understand if it was Stone Temple Pots, I can understand why they kicked out Scott. And, you know, I feel bad for the dude, but. They were better off without him. And I don't, to be honest, I don't know what they're doing these days because Chester Bennington was singing for them for a while after that. Yeah. And I don't know who's singing for them now. Obviously, it's not Chester and it's not Scott. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for James, for those of, uh, people out there that, you know, hopefully they're going to go check out the podcast after because it's killer. But for those that haven't listened yet, um, what would you say are kind of like the major starting points? Say you have an artist where they're like, you know what? I'm digging on the vibes that you're saying. I really should work on these things. What are like the major mistakes you see? Or like, what are the things to like start thinking about as a band? If you want to start implementing some of this stuff, what, what's like a broad stroke way to, to just get someone jiving in that way? Your brand. That's absolutely everything is your brand. And to be honest, there's so many other things that go into a product, but if you don't have a good brand, people aren't going to care. And right. so even though you need to have amazing music, amazing recording, and good marketing, like if you don't have a good brand, you're going to have a really tough time. And I want to say, oh man, is it I Prevail? I think it was I Prevail who launched their career with a Taylor Swift cover. Nobody wow. had heard of them until that cover was released, they had a Facebook page with like a thousand fans on it yeah. and no posts or maybe one or two posts. And then they dropped that cover and overnight they were viral and a success. They did not release an original song until I think three or four weeks later because they had a whole EP and that cover and that cover was the first single. Wow. And I know that was five, six years ago. I think it was 2014. But yeah, look up. I prevail if you haven't heard of them and I really hope it is I prevail. <laughs> but look up how they got started. Uh was it Blank Space? I think it was Blank Space they covered. That's the Taylor okay. Swift song. I'm and really if, bad at keeping up with Taylor Swift. But just I'll try to put that in the show like notes that, too, guys. Perfect. We'll find it. 
We'll find yeah. it. It'll go in the show notes. Or, you know, to be a little more local, look at Paris or Paviris, as people who don't know say. Oh they were God. a metal band with two vocalists. Lynn was singing cleans and then they had a screamer too. I used to play with them in Manchester when they nice. were, I think it was Operation Guillotine. That's awesome. I yeah. used to play shows with them at Bold Rocco's before it shut down. And then I watched that transition happen and it was nuts, dude. Yep. I nuts. have one of my friends in college was uh, tight with Lynn because she is also a graphic designer and she did some graphics for his band. And he pointed out to me, like, look at their Instagram. All their pictures are black and white. That's their aesthetic. You will never see a color picture of Paris on their official social media, at least That's... during that cycle. And, but I still think that to this day, they are all black and white. That is their aesthetic. That's very cool. That was cool. a branding decision. And this was back in 2014 when Lynn was, you know, I was like, she's a couple years younger than me, I think. So like 19, 20, 16, oh I don't know. dude. But she was really young and she understood this. And their manager was um, Maddie from A Lost From Words. And, you know, he's around in the area as well. And he did a great job getting them ready for the next level. But you, what you will notice is that there was that a Paris EP in, I think, the end of 2014, which has basically, basically been obliterated from the internet because it's so different from their first album that they have wiped it from wherever they can wipe it from. Wow. Yeah. And that's a lot of bands do that. So I think some bands might just need to do a hard reset, might need to change their name. Like you were saying, Paris was Operation Guillotine. I know even as Paris, at least I think from what I recall. They were Paris with an R initially, and then something went down. They had to switch to the V as well. Yep. I, yeah. I think that was uh, just for SEO purposes, okay. which is search engine so optimization. So, for example, easy. you go to Google and you type in Paris. Right. You're going to type in Paris and you're going to see, like, the Eiffel Tower. But if you type in Paviris, you're going to find Paris, the band. And so that, that was right. another conscious and smart marketing decision, which I'm sure is the same for bands like Churches, who is spelled Chiverches. That's the same thing, you know? They want to be found. And you have to take a look back. And if your current and past image doesn't fit what you want your future image to be, do a hard reset. Wipe your social media. You know, by all means, keep the same account, but delete all the old stuff that you do not want people to think of your brand as that stuff. Put together a plan and start over. And I, I know that, that can be painful because it's history, but you know what? You can download that stuff and save it if you really care that much. Maybe you have to take your music offline. Maybe you have to change your name. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't have to be anything drastic. Like, go to Google, type in your band's name. If you're not one of the top results, you either need to figure out how to become one of the top results or change your name to something that will be one of the top results. Smart. And that's, that's really everything. And because if you're not coming up on Google, and especially if there's another band, when you go to Spotify, you might not come up first in the results. And that's not good because that's how people are listening to music these days. Right. It's physical sales last year accounted for 5% of all merchandise sales at shows. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's tiny. That's, and that's per item. That's not per dollar. That is per item, which is 
insane. Unbelievable. If somebody sells a hundred merch items, four of those are CDs, one of them is a vinyl record, and the rest is clothing or other merchandise. Yeah. Media is on the way out. And dude, I hate it. Like I have records up on the walls behind me here of bands that I love. And over here and like all around me are CDs and albums. And I still buy albums. But streaming is the way to go. And for most people, you're not targeting diehard music fans. You're targeting average Joes who right. like listening to music that makes them feel something. That's really what it comes down to. Like, especially, dude, this is kind of a tangent, but instrumental bands, a lot of times I find, don't understand that the only people who listen to instrumental bands are other musicians. And that's 100%. fine. If that's the music you want to make, make it. I've heard some amazing instrumental music, but you're never going to get on the radio. You're never going to be quote unquote famous. That's just, you're going to be a musician's band. And we had that out there every year on Warped Tour. There would be one band, like 2015, we had this British punk band called the Kenneths, who every day there would be like 50 to 100 people watching them. And of those 50 to 100, at least half of them were people who were also on the tour. Right. And that was fine because they were just having fun. They were a punk band who didn't care. They're just like, dude, you know what? We're doing this. We're having a blast. And I shouldn't say they didn't care because they did care. But they didn't care about getting all the 14-year-old like kids who were trying to see Falling in Reverse, whoever else was on there that year. They just wanted to play good music and have fun. And right. if they could tour America because they're from the UK, that's awesome. If they could make some money, that's awesome. And I can't say for sure, but I would say that they set their goals. And you know what? A lot of people watched them because they were just nice people. I remember one time, they uh their bus got uh damaged so they spent a night on our bus and i was just talking to the guitarist and he's and we were both nerding out about weezer's blue album he's like oh yeah that was the first album i learned i'm like really dude that's awesome like i know one song but that's about it it's like hey you know what sometime if we have time i will teach you the whole album on guitar i'm like dude that's sick oh now my unfortunately God. that was the week before the tour ended so it never happened but he was just a chill dude you know right and they all three of them were so that kind of goes to another thing is your branding extends beyond your band page. We've talked about this in an episode on the podcast, on, on my podcast. But I mean, whatever. it's literally how you uh, walk in a room. I mean, like the way that you treat a venue, I know that you guys talked about this. The way that you treat a venue is part of brand. Mm -hmm. everything, everything that changes someone's interpretation or perception of you is part of brand. So like yep. people will know, know who a certain band is just like you said little stories like that just get planted as seeds everywhere those people are at and that's also part of it i'd say is is you know the etiquette as well as a big piece of your brand as well yeah and you know there's other stories about the bad things too like i know of a certain person who completely trashed the dressing room at house of blues boston i'm not going to say who it is because awesome I'm not sure if my friend who worked there was allowed to tell me that technically. Okay. But it was over $20,000 in damage. $20,000. $20,000, yeah. And guess what? Yeah. This was like seven years ago, and I still remember that. I, and I know who it is, and if you listen to new Metal back in the 90s, 
it's someone who's still around and is essentially a solo project and he's known for his onstage antics and like kicking his band members and stuff like physically kicking them so if you know 90s new metal by now you probably know who i'm talking about but it's there's some crazy stuff there was another person who ah again i'm not going to go into much detail because again a friend who worked there told me yeah but there was another staff member at house of blues boston who had it in their contract that they would never uh, book this artist because that person had been assaulted by that artist uh, with a knife. Thankfully, was not stabbed or anything, but like had a knife held to their throat and pushed yeah. up against the wall. Oh, my God. So that person had stipulated in their contract with House of Blues that that artist would never be booked. Wow. Well, guess what? They booked him, so that person got a paid day off. But... That just goes to show like these stories do get around. And even though I'm not naming names, I'm just not doing that because this is a public broadcast and I don't want to get my friend who told me that stuff in trouble. Now, granted, right. this was years ago, so I doubt my friend would get in trouble, but I'm still not going to drop names just because I want to be safe. And not, not for my sake, but my, my friend's sake. The right. thing is those stories get around within the music industry. It's, it's kind of nuts how small of an industry it is. Like I know that people always say it, but like there, I mean, I mean, I do a fair bit of networking. So like I'm, I'm meeting people from other States and stuff like this. And like, things like this are amazing where we get to meet. And, but there are random things that someone that I met in LA five years ago is like, yeah, remember that time that you did this thing? And I'm like, no, I don't remember that at all. (laughs) you don't you don't really even realize it so if you don't have like a certain way of being like you, it it makes an impression you know yep well you know what a, a perfect way to put that into perspective and this goes especially for larger cities in 2016 which was the last year i did warp tour uh i ended up moving to san diego in august for a gig which was like a temporary gig cool and I saw that The Used was playing. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll go see The Used. Oh, yeah. And guess what? I ran into not one, not two, not three, but four different people that I knew from Warp Tour at The Used. And they weren't even working. They just were in San Diego. I, actually, I, I should say, I think one of them was working. But he wasn't on the tour. He was like with a venue. And the other three were just there to see the show. Yeah. And it was like a little mini reunion. It's like, oh, hey, like I saw you a few weeks ago on Warp. Like, what's up, dude? And that's just the people I knew from Warp Tour. Warp Tour has like a thousand people on it at any one time. As yeah. Ad. Sorry. R.I.P. Warp Tour. Yeah. So I guarantee there were more people in that room who were on Warp Tour that year or had been on Warp Tour at some point. There is a massive Facebook group just for people who have been on Warp Tour. And they literally will not let you in if you haven't at some point been part of Warp Tour as a tour person. Like you know, if you came out and volunteered for a show or something, they're not going to let you in. You have to have like been on the tour on the tour. Yeah. And all the time, even though warp tour has been over for two years, not counting the, like the one-off stuff they did last summer, people still post gigs in there because that is basically where everyone knows everyone. And if somebody has a job, they're probably going to make that group one of their first three stops to post the listing saying, Hey, we're looking for someone to come on our team trust yep exactly and they know that even if they don't directly know someone somebody else will vouch for them if they're trustworthy 
And that's like, you'll see these job postings and somebody says, hey, I'm available. And you'll see like five people underneath saying backed. And that's how the group goes. Wow, huh? Yeah. That's interesting. It's It's like LinkedIn. Yeah, basically, but way cooler. Because I mean, I haven't touched my (laughs) LinkedIn in years. (laughs) Yeah. LinkedIn for the music industry, at least as far as live music goes, is almost entirely irrelevant. Yeah. Maybe for label execs and marketing people, it works. Or if you're doing like a B2B service, like podcast editing for businesses or like audio editing for like, I don't know, I guess, but yeah, that's, I'm with you pretty much. There's really, yeah, it's not, not that I've seen. It's not there. (laughs) Very true. And this Facebook, Facebook group is just people who know each other. And, you know, I have, again, I was an introvert. So the years I was on Warp Tour, I did not meet a lot of people and I probably would have been a lot better off if I had. But with that Facebook group, I still recognize names and I know people more now because we've interacted in that group. And even though I'm not on the road anymore, I don't do touring. It's still cool to have that insight. And frequently, if I see a gig and I know somebody who can do that gig but isn't in the group, I'll shoot the person who posted the gig a message and say, hey, you know what? He's not in this group or she's not in this group, but I think they would do a great job. If you're interested in talking to them, let me know, and I can put you in touch with them. That's awesome. It just shows, dude, what you're saying about... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which that's... Dave's referring to The Go-Giver, which is a book I was mentioning before the podcast. It's a great book that, I mean, it's a lot of common sense about just being a good person, but it also will really put some stuff into perspective. So I recommend anybody who's an entrepreneur, and that includes people who are trying to run bands as a business, read it. Like 12 bucks on Amazon. Um, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes as well. It's a great read, and it's only like 100, 110 pages. So it's absolutely worth reading. Oh, yeah. Sweet. So James, on that note, um, I have a phrase that I made up that we, I think we covered, and like someone's used it as a phrase. I say, we're going to cap this out. Have you ever heard of that? Can't say I have. Yeah, I know. It's been a big point of contention for this whole podcast of whether that's a real term <laughs> or something I made up, and I won't drop it. So I say, all right, we're going to cap it out. I mean, should we Google it? I, we can Google it. We can. I mean, yeah. Do you want to? I'm curious I, now. I, I think like some of my fa- like some of the audience has told me that they found it. Like someone sent me a clip from some like, um, some like British sitcom or something. And they said it, and I I kind of use that as my uh, my proof. Okay. Even though it's well, not I'm strong. not I'm not gonna read the Urban Dictionary definition because it's full of racist <laughs> language. Thanks uh, to uh, Urban Dictionary for allowing that stuff. I, I don't mean any That's of that. Heavy just sarcasm. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it wasn't exactly your phrase. It's just because of the word cap. So to cap it off. Is, a, is an expression that's verified by the dictionary. So we've found that. So okay. we think that what I have is a derivative uh, watered-down uh, slang term for that, saying cap it out. But there's, there's been one obscure random thing where someone said it, so I'm kind of holding my guard on it. But it means that we're ending out. Um, I have five questions that I ask everyone, James. Okay. And I kind of ask them, like, don't, don't overthink it. Don't, don't go crazy analytical on it. Kind of give me... You don't have to answer like rapid fire, but give me kind of what's on your head when I ask it on those. Um, So the first question is an interesting one because you are such a jack of all trades. And I say, what made you choose what you're doing 
Um, it could even be what you're representing in the podcast even to be the thing that you have to do. Like out of all the things that you could do in the world, why is this the thing that you adamantly are like, I need to be an audio engineer. I need to have this podcast. Like what made that mean that to you? Well, I'm going to give you two answers, one for the audio thing and one for the podcast. Perfect. Uh, as far as audio, long story short, I always thought I wanted to just tour for the rest of my life and do tour management or front of house for a band or whatever. And then I met a girl and realized that I'd much rather be at home and spend time with her than be on the road for three quarters of the year. Yep. And got out of the music business for a year and a half and then started interning at this awesome studio in San Diego called Signature Sound, which I am going to name drop now. The used recorded there way back in the day. Blink-182 recorded there. Holy More recently, um, Kill Switch Engage came in with their side project. I can't remember the name of it. But I remember walking in one, in one day and seeing uh, cases with KSE on it. I'm like, I think that stands for Kill Switch Engage. What? And then the dudes from Kill Switch Engage walked in. I'm like, yep, okay, <laughs> that's Kill Switch Engage. It's oh. here today, like right now. Like, Okay. Then you start. And um, so long story short, that other job that I was in, my hours got cut because they had budget issues. So I was like, okay, and jumped into doing audio. And it's been a blast. So I, I really enjoy that. And it's just something I like. And I never thought I would like studio work, but I do. So now I do mixing and mastering uh, through that side of my business, which is called Pinnacle Pro Sound. And then with the Better Band Bureau, you know, working with bands, I saw how many artists have no clue what they're doing. And I do not mean that in a bad way, because how are they supposed to know if no one's ever educated them, if no one's told them like, hey, have you tried this? Right. So that's the Better Band Bureau. I basically just saw that artists could use some help from somebody who knows what they're talking about. And that's why I got Matt and Aaron to be on the podcast, because I'm not going to lie, they have much more experience of being in a band than I do. I have right. experience in the music industry and doing lots of stuff like logistics and all that. I can plan a tour out and route it and all that. I can do that really well, but I don't have the experience of actually doing that in a band. I just have the experience of doing it in general, either in support of friends bands. Right. And that's kind of another thing that got me into it is I always had friends hitting me up being like, Hey, do you know the music business? How do I do this? So instead of having 20 people, you know, every month hit me up asking questions. Now I can just be like, yo, dude, we did a podcast episode all about that. So you can hear me talk about it for an hour with people who are in bands rather than me just like typing up a quick response that right. took me two minutes to write because I don't have time to write back to everyone. So right. <laughs> it's kind of long story short. It also just was people were not bugging me with questions, but just asking a bunch of questions and they all asked the same questions. So I said, hey, you know what? We got to put this down on the record and get it out there. The market asked and you gave them what you, what they want. Yeah, basically. It's exactly That's what it is. That's a smart thing to do. All right. So throughout the process, so it can be anywhere in your history, really. Um, and it could even be, you know, what you recommend for bands or things like that. What's the biggest mistake that you've made along the way? And <laughs> I preface that because I've had so many people be like, oh, there's no mistakes. I learned. And I'm like, I know, I know we're lucky. I'm super lucky to have a ton of positive people on this podcast and I love the hell out of it. But like, say you could take the lesson that you learned and just give it to someone as like a pill or a drink and they automatically got that lesson. What's the thing that you're like, if you automatically obtain this lesson, don't do this because it really sucked. 
or really was the wrong thing? That's a tough one. I mean, there was a tour that I was doing merch and driving for, and the the band it was actually an EDM tour. So the EDM guy, his manager, just loved me. And at the start of the tour, he's like, "Hey, you know what? You're doing an awesome job. You're." Like the only person on this tour that I have no issues relying on. Like, this is really cool. If you ever want to sit down, like, let's chat. About two weeks later, I got sick, really sick. And they basically fired me on the spot, which sucked. I I was honestly happy about it. And they were really nice about it. They're like, yeah, you know what? We're going to have to send you home because I can't have the artist getting (laughs) sick. Yep. And um, I was like, you know what? That's no worries. Like, I totally understand. I feel like crap, so I'm happy to be going home. Right. And then the dudes just didn't want to pay me. They eventually did end up paying me, but for less than what was promised. And that was just a tough situation to be in. So you know what? What I'm going to say here is if somebody says that they're going to pay you after the tour, say, no, you're at least going to pay me every week on the tour. Yeah. Like, And if you don't pay me, I will give you like a day or two, but then I'm going home. Even if I have to pay it out of pocket, like you pay me or I'm not staying here. And it took them over a month after the end of the tour to eventually pay me. And they literally ghosted me for a while for like three quarters of that month. So that's like kind of the downer is, you know, this was my first tour not working for a larger organization. Yeah. And I almost didn't do the tour even because another tour came up that paid better and was a longer tour. And the first tour hadn't been getting back to me. And so I basically sent them an email saying, Hey, you know what? There's another tour that I want to do. And, you know, but you guys have my first commitment, but you got to lock this in by tomorrow. Send me a contract or I'm going with the other tour. And they sent me a basic email contract that I agreed to. And, I should have taken the other tour. I should have taken money up front or if not up front, you know, at least at the end of each week. And so, yeah, that was rough. But on a much happier note, I'm going to give you a second mistake. Okay. I don't know if, do you know Ace Enders? Ace Enders. Yeah. He's the singer for uh, the early November. Okay. Well, he came. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He came to my school years ago and did an acoustic show. And I was the production manager for our venue, and I decided that that night I didn't feel like doing sound, so I had my friend do sound because he, he was a really great sound guy, and he was learning how to run our venue. So I did lights, and I think it's there's a mountain in my living room or something like that is the song title. And when it hits the chorus, it just goes to this open drop D chord, which sounds absolutely killer. This okay. is like 30 minutes into his set, and I'm just like, this is it. And I hit the strobes. And he cracked up laughing so hard that he couldn't play the song. And he tried to start it again. And he just like cracked up. And then for the rest of the oh, night, it he was, was, it was acoustic? strobes. Yeah. And <laughs> it was awesome. And he loved it. But like, I still feel bad because I made Ace Enders mess up mid-song. <laughs> so. You're like, this is how epic I feel about early November is this right now. And he's like, dude, appreciate how amped you are right now. But. I'm just not putting out that strobe type of vibe tonight. Yeah. Well, no, dude, he asked for more strobes and his, his words were something along the lines of, if I had known you could do that, I would have had you doing that for the whole night. Oh, so, right on, dude. So he loved so it. So it's awesome, but it was still a mistake and I still feel bad. But I mean, I, I didn't want to give people such a downer with the, you know, 
not getting paid and all that stuff. So, it's it's good to a have a happier both. mistake. <laughs> so well, so I'll give you an extra opportunity. I always do flip side of that because I'm I'm an optimi- I'm an optimistic type of dude. Uh, what's the best decision that you've made along the way? <sighs> dude, there's so many. I mean, doing Warp Tour three years was awesome. Not being in the music industry was awful. So I'm probably I would go with coming back and saying, you know what? I don't want to have a non-music day job. I'm or a non-audio day job. I got to come back and just making the jump and quitting my job and moving out of San Diego, which is as, as much as I loved San Diego, there, I knew there was no way I would be able to afford it at yeah. least when I'm starting my own business. So I left and as did my fiance, she was down and moved with me and we left. And that was awesome because here I am now. I'm back in Vermont where I spent my teen years growing up, but I'm way happier than I ever was in San Diego. And I Vermont's the dope, weather. dude. Yeah, dude, it is. And I I'm loved the weather Hampshire in San boy, Diego. I, I loved having the sun and the city is awesome. And I worked in Balboa Park. I was working outside. I loved it. But the job was just awful. Like I loved being at the job but the job itself was awful, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> so, it does. It yeah. does. I, I had one coworker, and she was the worst. So <laughs> leaving that was the best thing I'd ever, uh, I've ever done. And I'd love to go back to San Diego, but for now, I'm in a good place. I'm in a much better place. Good. Um, this next one, you kind of already said it earlier in the podcast. Uh, but maybe you have others. What's a book that you would recommend, or it could be a resource, could be a podcast, could be videos. Um, everyone learns differently. What's like a resource that you recommend to the audience? Yeah, aside from the Go Giver, and there's a couple books. I'm actually gonna cheat. I have a on my studio site. I have an artist resources page. I know I have on there the uh, indie band survival guide. That's a great resource, and. Let's see here. There's one other one. Uh, if you're interested in learning about the legal side of things, Donald Passman has a great book, which is actually not on here. I Interesting. Think everything you need to know about the music industry or something like that. Let's see. He's an entertainment lawyer. I may have read that in college, but I clearly didn't did. retain a lot of it. It's all <laughs> you need to know about the music business. And okay. I got to say, if you're going to buy it, get the newest edition because the music business changes so much. You got to get the newest one or it's not going to apply at all. Like the one I have is from yeah. 20, I bought it in 2011. So I want to say it's from like 2009, 2010 because he releases an edition every five or six years. That's good. So yeah, it's dude, it's better than the textbooks that update every year and just <laughs> change like the formatting a bit. And then the, professor the cover, says, you have to have the newest one. So you have to. It's five hundred dollars. Yeah. Figure it out. Yep. All right. Donald Passman's book is like thirty bucks. And if you're interested in the business side, like legal side of things, absolutely get it. If you're interested more in just being in a band, get the indie band survival guide. And no matter who you are, I don't care if you're in a band or not, get the go giver. That's oh yeah, yeah. I, that's universal. 100%. Exactly. Exactly. Just even for like living a better life to other people. Alone. Yeah. 
Um, last question, and this one's the very easiest, James, is where do people find you in the podcast where they connect? Oh, man, that's almost too easy because we're in every major podcasting app. So if you're listening to Waking Up from Work in your favorite podcasting app, just search for the Better Band Bureau and you can subscribe. We have cool. new episodes every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern time. And uh, that's uh, thankfully we've been able to be consistent with that. As you were saying earlier, Dave, consistency it's, is key. So I appreciate your effort to that's do your show, even though you're deathly sick. And I'm going to uh, lay down, dude, I'm about to, I'm about to slam some NyQuil. No doubt. I don't blame you, man. So yeah. uh, just for, if somebody's not listening to this in a podcast app, like if they're listening to your, your website or something, if yeah. you go to go, dot the better band bureau dot com slash listen a listing of all our different podcast app listings will come up so you'll see spotify itunes apple whatever all those different ones okay. or you can just go to the better band dot com and find our website and we have like a little embedded player of the last couple episodes and all the show notes pages are there and all that stuff cool. uh, but the easiest way is just to search whatever app you're in right now and you will find it Great. So, and for those of you that are driving or walking a dog or something like that, I will include those links in the show notes, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. And you can check out episode 48 to read up that stuff. Click up those links. Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. And I hope it's beneficial to your listeners. And uh, one last thing, if you don't mind, if anybody has questions, just head over to the betterbandbureau.com slash group. That's a direct link to our Facebook group. Yep. And dude, there's questions there. Honestly, I love it when people fill them out, but we do not discriminate. Like it's stuff like how long have you been playing music? That's just for us to know. So don't worry about answering the questions in super detail. We just want to know who you are. We're going to let you in no matter what, as long as you're not like some obvious spammer who joined Facebook yesterday. Yeah, no, it's a good group. Um, I'm Like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm personally in that group. And, uh, everyone is super warm. You know, you can ask any question and no one, no one jumps on you to yell at you. So yeah, it's good. good We haven't had that yet, thankfully, but dude, I've got like a 1% tolerance policy on that. So if somebody attacks somebody and they get warned, they do it again, they get the boot. Like I'm really thankful that that hasn't happened yet. And I can only assume that's because everyone knows that we're all in this together, but the day that happens will be a sad, sad day, and will probably be the first time we kick out somebody who's not a spammer. Right. Right on, dude. All right, dude. Thank you so much for joining me on the Waking Up From Work podcast. My pleasure. 48. Thanks again, Dave. I hope you feel much better very soon, and have an awesome oh, night, man. Thank you, buddy. 